Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome to Putting On the Mind of Christ. Each week at this time, we go to the Ave Maria CD archives and pull down a talk or two to see what our Lord might have to say to us. Many of these talks are recorded at area conferences. Most of the speakers are nationally known, but some may have been recorded by a brother or sister sitting in front of or behind you at Mass. Ave Maria Radio presents this program of God's Word to His people. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer for Putting On the Mind of Christ. Regular listeners to this program have heard a number of speakers from the Heart to Heart Catholic Women's Apostle at monthly meetings. The ladies meet for Mass in the chapel at Domino's Farms in Ann Arbor. That's followed by a time of fellowship and their speaker in the cafe. In 2011, they celebrated their 10th anniversary. Their speakers cover the breadth of Orthodox Catholic thought. The speaker at the September 2011 meeting was Father Ben Lutke. Father Ben was a movie actor before receiving his call to the priesthood. His seminary studies were done in Rome. He was ordained by Pope John Paul the Great. He served as Mother Teresa's driver in Rome and later served as a confessor to Mother and her sisters. He served the church and her people in the Philippines, Hawaii, Europe, and the U.S. He's a regular conference speaker and retreat leader. He annually speaks to the heart-to-heart ladies. His talk addressed something that happens to all of us who interact with fellow humans, having someone let us down or do something that takes our peace from us or draws us away from the Lord. His title is Healing the Wounds of the Heart. After their break, Father Ben fielded some wide-ranging questions from the ladies. Stay with us. You're listening to Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome back to Putting on the Mind of Christ. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer. On our program today, we have another heart-to-heart Catholic Women's Apostolate talk. It was by Father Ben Lutke in September 2011. As you may know, last fall, Father Ben had a tumor removed from his brain. As you're about to hear, he seems fully recovered. But that day, he drove a round trip to Cleveland for an MRI to check things out inside his head. He was tired, but he remained sharp of mind and wit. Here is Father Ben Lutke. You'll have to have patience with me. I just drove to Cleveland, and I had my MRI this morning, and then I drove back. I just got back. So I've been on the road and had this big hole that they shoved me in 
It was glorious. <laughs> the first of all, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most loving and affectionate Father, as we gather in your presence on this, the feast of the most blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of your Son, the mother of God, grant that we may understand always a deeper understanding of your love for us, your mercy, so that by embracing that mercy and forgiveness, we can truly achieve what you have destined from all eternity for each one of us. Help us to understand that we are loved personally, that we are not loved as a group or as mankind or even as a church. We are loved personally, individually, uniquely. Grant to us an understanding of that love so that we may truly grow each and every day until that very love itself consumes us into eternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we're going to be discussing, or I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea of this whole concept of when good people disappoint, or when they hurt you know, we all have experienced that. And you've ever heard the expression, once bitten, twice shy? It usually deals with matters of the heart. We are, and this group is, heart to heart. And so therefore, we are more sensitive to the things around us. Well, first of all, I think we called this particular topic because of the things that have been happening lately in the church. Everyone knows Father Karapi, and there was another priest with Mother Angelica who left and got married or something. And we even have experiences in our own life about people who perhaps we've put expectations in them, maybe our kids. But first of all, I want to tell you something. I think I've explained this before, but I'm going to do it again because it's very, very important that you know before I start speaking who and what I am. Now, when I was in the seminary, a very young kid, we had uh, the priests at the Angelicum ask us to define priesthood. Who is a priest? What is a priest? And every single person raised their hand because everyone, first thing out of the mouth was alter Christus. And then we heard ambassador of Christ. And the teacher, and then we had heard all these wonderful things in the priest kept shaking his head. He says, no, 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 I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I want you to give me a definition that will make you understand who you are as priest. We couldn't come up with anything. So he said, okay, take out your pens and write this down. And I never had to write it down because it was perfect. It made perfect sense. This is the definition of a priest. A priest is a sinner chosen from among sinners to help sinners. That's the definition of a priest. And if you put any more than that into a priest, you're kind of setting yourself up for a bad attitude. A very holy priest once told me, Father Basilio Aramakdeva, who was a Marxist philosopher before he converted and became a priest in Rome. And he said, you know something? To expect more than anyone is able to give you is to condemn yourself to a bad attitude. You see... If you expect so much from someone that they have the power to ruin your life or to affect your faith, it's your problem, not theirs. They are human beings. I don't know how many people have asked me about Father Karapi. What do you think about Father Karapi? I say, 
I believe Father Crappie is a good man, and I pray for him. That's what I think of him. I pray for him. It's not my business to judge him. It's not my business to allow what he chooses to do in his life affect my faith. I've had a lot of people disappoint me in my life. I had superiors in my lifetime who attacked me. I was physically attacked, calumnied, slandered. And you know something? I made it through alive. And you know why? Because I wasn't holding my breath for anything else. People who hurt us, and I've said this in the last conference that I gave here, people cause wounds inside of us. There's no way you're going to get around it. I'm sure that the priests or people in your life who have hurt you or done something that was just totally off the wall or maybe directly to you caused a wound inside of you. Well, you know, no one, no one can heal that wound but you. And so we have to recognize that it is our obligation to forgive so that we can heal that wound. During the Mass I said that we can forgive over and over and over until the wound is healed. Well, that's exactly what we have to do, especially when we're disappointed in someone. Look at the one thing you can do is, say for example, you're disappointed in your kids. Who isn't? Join the club. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Well, first of all, your obligation to teach them with your mouth ended when they left home. So it's not about preaching to them. You got to preach as St. Francis of Assisi and he said, preach from the moment you get up until the second you're asleep and only when necessary use words. Do not preach. Preach with your lives. That's going to give the most bang for the buck. Also, stop giving your kids and people around you junk. Give them spiritual stuff. Give everyone you know a big honking crucifix for their living room. <laughs> or a gigantic statue of Mary or the Sacred Heart for their front lawn. And make it cement so they can't move it. <laughs> if you're going to get a card for birthday, shop always in a religious goods store. Get your cards in a religious goods store. If you're going to give anybody anything for their wedding, make it a series of masses or a statue of the Blessed Mother or a nightlight that lights up that is an image of Mary or the angels or Christ. These are the things that we can do. But the most important thing to recognize is that we can never put our faith in other people. They're always going to let us down. They will. They just will eventually. I'll tell you something. It is truly a sad thing when somebody does something wrong, when they stray or they go away from God. But you see, it is our job to love them, but also to keep moving on with our life. To tell you the truth, if I could be behind a big screen and have a light behind me so all you saw was just an image and I could preach from morning till night like that. No one would know who I am. And anybody else could take my place. That's what I would like to see. Because then nobody falls in love with the person preaching, but with what they're saying. That's the most important thing in our lives. What is being said? How were they speaking? Did they give you the truth? That's the most important thing. You know, sometimes I watch religious television a lot, okay? Sometimes. And... The one thing that I just drives me nuts is every time, for example, I'm saying the rosary or something or we're in a group, 
I see Mitch Pacwa, you know. <laughs> or every time we do the uh, Divine Mercy Rosary, it's just, da, 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 and that just drives me crazy. I can't get the melody out of my head. And the thing is, I think sometimes that we become so dependent on figures and people and almost like cult figures. And we have to understand that we have to focus and put this attention on Christ himself. We have to move every single day of our lives more intimately toward the Eucharist and stop making these people more important than they are. They're only telling you what they've already got. They received from somebody else. When I talk to you guys, you think I'm special because I just say the truth? Everything I tell you I got from somebody else. I'm just plagiarizing my whole life long. (laughs) So it's not the speaker. It never will be the speaker. You have to look beyond and see what is being said. Because all of us, all of us will disappoint someone during our lifetime. All of us. Believe me, I've disappointed many people. My mom most of the time. She always thought I had a hole in my head when I was in the kitchen. See, what, do you have a hole in your head? Now I do, actually, because of the surgery. So I guess she had a little bit of foresight there. But you see, we always fail in something. You know why? Because of original sin. Beauty of our faith is the fact that we know that we're sinners, that we know we're weak. Don't expect from someone else, anyone else, what you can't even expect from yourself. That's why I can't judge people. I love hearing confessions. I don't hear a person's confession and sit high up in a chair and look down on them and say, oh, you shouldn't do that. I think to myself, wow, if I was this good, I'd be a saint by now. I always see other people as so much better and more loving and charitable and more kind. And why? Because I know who I am. I know how much I need the sacrament of reconciliation, how much I need to be forgiven over and over and over again. And whether or not you see it makes no difference. You and I know ourselves. We know. Come on, you know you. You know that none of us would want our sins blabbed all over. None of us would want those moments maybe in our past where we really were stupid as bricks. Nobody would want that. Every one of us has two personas, the one here and the one at home. Every one of us. All of a sudden, you can be a certain way. Think about it. And all of a sudden, a priest walks into your living room. You didn't know the priest was there. Boom, you're completely different. And I hear it. I'll be going up to somebody's house and going back and forth, back and forth. And I walk in, oh, Father. (laughs) It's that canonize me now person. And we all have it. We all have it. And the thing is, we've got to blend those two together so that we can be the person that we really are always. And the person we really are, it has to be the alter Christus within us, the Christ in us. We have to become Jesus. That means first recognizing our sinfulness, recognizing what St. Augustine said, but for the grace of God, that's me. That's me up there. And you think I'm going to dare criticize anyone? Very bad thing to do. Usually when people look down on other people and judge them, they end up falling into the same sin. 
And you know why? Because anytime you point your finger, you got these three little fingers pointing back in your own face. And normally when people make it a habit of talking about other people's sins, they're just trying to hide their own. And that's the truth. Gossipers. They're always talking about everybody else's faults because they're so deathly afraid that they're going to see theirs. We need to recognize our own sins because then we need to depend upon Christ even more. I don't believe that we should ever let a week or two weeks go by without going to confession. I don't know where people got this crazy idea that once a year or once every six years or ten years or once every couple months is okay. If I asked any of you, what did you eat six weeks and four days ago for lunch? Or what did you wear? You're not going to be able to tell me. And how are you going to tell me your sin? The times you lost your patience or you judged someone or you had a little bit of road rage when you were driving down the street. And you know what? The number of sins is an integral part of confession. I have to tell how many times I do something. But you know what? We've gotten into a society that says, oh, well, I lie, I cheat, I steal, I looked at junk on the Internet. I said, whoa, 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 back up that train, buddy. Uh, There's a big difference between looking at junk on the Internet for five minutes or 14 hours. I mean, the big difference. And that depends on how I'm going to help someone. I think that's why sometimes we almost feel as though we're better. And it's only those people who don't go to confession often that feel that way. Mother Teresa went at least a couple times a week when I knew her. Our beloved uh, Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul, he went to confession every chance he got. In fact, the Swiss guards were actually informed that if you see the Holy Father drop to his knees, he's not falling, he's just going to confession to some priest that happened to pass him in the hallway. And they would keep people back. They would seal off the hallway so he could go to confession. He went to confession because he knew that an awareness of self really protects us. It gives us an ability to love our enemies, to actually embrace those who treat us poorly, even though we expect so much from them sometimes. But you've got to stop expecting things from people, even your own kids. You know the one thing you can do for people who disappoint you? Love them. Love them. I can't even begin to tell you how many people I've met in my life. Maybe the parents are trying to get their kids to live a Christian life, a good Catholic life, and they're, no, I don't want her to bring him into my house, and going on and on like this. How many times I hear from those kids and they say, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. By our insistence upon other people living according to what we think they must live, by our saying it and pushing them and driving them and judging them, we do the exact opposite. We drive them away. Jesus ate and drank with sinners. He was trying to show us exactly what we have to do. I'll tell you, life is so difficult for so many. And they're going to approach it in their own way. And they've got to make their own mistakes. But you and I are there as someone who can reach out to them whenever they desire it, whenever they seek it. I get this question all the time. Well, you know, a good friend of mine, he's getting married and he's not getting married in a church, but he's Catholic. Should I go? And, you know, I I thought about that for a long period of time, wondering, what should I tell them? And, you know, I've come to an understanding, go! You might be the only person who's got Christ! You might be the only person that will stand by them and say, listen, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I'll tell you this, I love you. 
And if you ever want to know anything about Christ, I'm there for you. Give them a crucifix. Give them a statue of the Blessed Mother. Don't give them anything secular. Never go to the registry. Go to the religious goods store. Fill their house with good stuff. At least when they know you're coming over, they'll haul it out of the closet. (laughs) I believe that you touch a crucifix and there's grace involved in it. I know that's the fact. I know it. These crucifixes I'm going to be giving you guys, I don't know if I have enough. I might have some more in the car, but I can always get them to Maria. Um, I think about 150 here, and it's probably more than that here. But I give these to people, and it's amazing just touching it. At first, they don't know what it is. Then they look and they see the image of Christ crucified. Unbelievable miracles of grace happen. First of all, they're shocked that a Catholic priest is actually giving something away. Although, you know, I was just talking to a bishop the other day, and I said, you know, Your Excellency, if we gave away rocks, the church would be full, you know. And he said, really? I said, yeah, look at it. The church is packed on when? Ash Wednesday, we're giving ashes away. Palm Sunday, we're giving palms away. Everybody fills up the church, packed to the gills. When I was in Brazil, somebody was just teasing with me, and I said, you know what? Because I was trying to get people to come into the church. We were just building it, and you know, I created a new parish. And so what I did was I sent out word that I am going to be giving out blessed rocks. <laughs> Packed church. <laughs> Thank heavens they graveled the road like a week before. I just piled all the gravel and washed it up real nice, blessed it. Everyone got a rock. <laughs> I'll bet you every person still has that blessed rock. But it brought them in. And that's what we have to do. It brings us into their life by being there and by being there to help them. So even if someone does disappoint, even if you expect so much from them, first of all, you have to change. My mom knows every button she installed it, you know, installed all the buttons to push, yeah. And I remember when I was a lot younger, I was in Milwaukee and she had felt you know, lumps in her breasts. And I took her to the hospital. She didn't want to go. And I fought with her for months and months and months. And finally, I got her to go. And in those days, they didn't have confidentiality or anything. And so the doctor came up to me. He said, I want you to know something. that well, We did a biopsy, and it's going to take about three weeks. And if these are cancerous, your mother has about a month to two months maximum. There's too many. There are hundreds of them. So I remember my mother didn't know. So my mother didn't change one iota. She was just as annoying, (laughs) just as demanding, just as loving, just as kind, just as sweet. But boy, I'll tell you, every kid knows that they get close to their mother, they reattach the umbilical as soon as they can get close to you. But the thing is, it didn't bother me anymore because I changed. I saw her. And that's one of the great things about contemplating death. I have to tell you that. I preach a lot on death because death puts life in proper perspective. Like, for example, at Mass, if somebody could come up to you and say, by the way, at midnight tonight, you're going to die, how would you receive communion? I'll bet you it'd be different. I'll bet you you receive it like you've never received communion all your life. Maybe your first one might be like that. If you knew that you were going to die, how would you say goodnight to your kids? 
How would you say goodnight to your spouse? Or what would you do when you passed by the house of maybe the curmudgeon that lives next door who throws his garbage over your wall? How would you be? You see, death is a wonderful thing. Frank was a wonderful, wonderful saint. Happy St. Francis. And the reason Frank was so happy was because every night he meditated on death. Every night. It was always death. And that's what made him so happy because he got up in the morning and he saw he had another day to glorify God, to give glory to God, to make things right. There's a song called Live Like You Were Dying. It's one of my favorite songs. I don't have very many favorite songs and I don't think that was my favorite. I think the Alleluia Chorus and every Christmas song I've ever heard is my favorite song. But I loved that song because there's one phrase where it said, I gave forgiveness for those that I've withheld it. And that, to me, seems to be the message of peace that Christ gives us. Because you and I can't allow the world or other people to take away our peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. It's in every Mass. What do you think he was talking about? Peace on earth? Not with the crazies we got running our country. (laughs) There's not going to be peace. There won't even be peace in our backyard. What peace is Jesus speaking of? He's speaking about the peace that comes through reconciling, through the peace that comes through forgiving, through healing, through that forgiveness. That's exactly what he teaches us in every word he says. In the Beatitudes, it's all about loving. And love is founded and grounded on that forgiveness because every one of us mess up. Every one of us need forgiveness and need to forgive. I guarantee you there's not a person here that doesn't need to forgive somebody. There's not a person here that hasn't needed to be forgiven. All of us do. But recognizing that and putting it into practice, living it every day, there's where peace and true joy come from. True joy. Because when you keep death before your eyes, you live. You get up in the morning, if you thought this was your last day, instead of complaining about how cold it is, You'd get up and you say, oh my gosh, what a beautiful, look at those leaves, there's some leaves turning colors instead of going, oh, poop. I'm going to be raking those stinking things next month. Why can't summer be longer? But see, the thing is, if you thought today was your last day, would you be miserable? How could you be miserable? How could you be sad? How could you allow anyone to disturb your peace or take that peace away? Because I'll tell you something, the peace that Christ gives, no one can take away because it's mingled with joy. And joy is not an emotion. Joy is an attitude. Joy is a choice. Just like forgiveness is a choice. Love is a choice. So we have to choose to forgive. We have to choose to love. We have to choose joy. You know, you may as well just take the one talk I gave two years ago and just keep playing it over and over because that's all I do is I say the same thing you've got to forgive you've got to love you have to keep moving in that direction constantly because if you choose joy no one can take that from you no one because there's not a person on earth that has the power to make you miserable only you have that power Really, think about it. You've got a lot of crazy people around. Oh, yeah, you're working with somebody who their whole purpose in life is to make you miserable. And my mother had somebody she worked with like that. And the woman just spent every day trying to make my mother miserable. And they kept telling her, Mom, just choose to be happy. It'll drive her nuts. At least she'll get that satisfaction. 
Choose joy. Because to tell you the truth, that person has absolutely no power to make you miserable. No matter what they do, no matter what your kids do, nobody. And as I said during Mass, there is not a soul on this earth that was created to make you happy. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents. That's your job. Don't ever give that job to anybody else because they're going to really make you miserable. Because you're going to be expecting something that they can't give you. And they don't have the power to make you happy. How many times do I hear, Oh, the only thing that would make me happy if you give me grandchildren. Oh, shut up. (laughs) The only thing that would make you happy. What a goomba. If you're not happy already, believe me, grandchildren ain't going to do it. (laughs) You have to be happy now. Don't make anyone else or your joy or your happiness or your peace contingent on anyone else. That's the biggest problem in our society, you know. That's why we have so many people with mental problems. Because they're all waiting for everybody else to heal them. And we have the power within ourselves. Almost certainly we do need good psychiatrists and doctors because psychiatrists can find out if you've got a chemical imbalance. Listen, if you're batting around like a bouncing ball up and down all the time, check out the chemicals inside of you because there's a good chance you've got a chemical imbalance. If you're feeling miserable and you don't know why, don't blame your spouse or your kids. Go to the doctor. That's the one thing they always told us in the seminary. Don't automatically assume that something has a spiritual origin. If you're up and down like a roller coaster, get help. And it's not just a matter of, I've got to pray. No, you've got to go see a doctor. Pray for the doctor, yeah. But you've got to go to somebody who can actually do something about it. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people, they're telling me and I'm sitting there listening and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this person has a chemical imbalance. In the confession alone, they've been up and down like a bouncing ball. And I'm thinking, uh, I think you need to see a shrink. What? I said, no, 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 and I, you don't get me wrong, because remember, psychiatrists are doctors. They can actually prescribe something, and most problems are physical. They're not mental. At least those kind of things, when you have an imbalance, or like if a person is bipolar, that's a physical problem. And we've got to resolve those, but... When you look at your children or when you look at the people around you and you find that you're feeling that they're making you miserable, realize that they can't. They can't. They have no power to do that. Only you. Only you. Nobody else. And that's the power that we have. You see, if you give that power to other people, you've given away your power, period. Same thing when you get angry. You know, when you lose your temper? Every person who loses their temper loses their control. They lose their power. That's why we have to get that under control. Because the second you start yelling at somebody, you've lost them. They're not listening to you anymore. But if you all of a sudden change and you stop... Because, you know, sometimes the mouth moves before the brain does. I know that happens to me all the time. And so it's when the brain kicks in, that's when you have to stop and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. And then turn to whoever heard you and say, listen, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lost my temper. Could you say a prayer for me? I'm working on it. Then continue with what you were saying. You're going to change the whole dynamic of your relationship and they're going to listen to you for the first time because you're not yelling anymore. We are the ones who have to change. My dear brothers and sisters, it's not about them. It's about me. It's a real cheap excuse to blame everyone else for your happiness or your misery or for your sorrow or whatever it might be. 
it's up to you. You have the power. I have the power. We have to take back that power and never let anyone do anything like that again to us as long as we live. And it's not easy at first. I know. I struggled when I was a kid. I had a terrible temper. Oh, just ask my sister. <laughs> the nuns actually punished me for months on end because I had a terrible temper. And then a priest told me that once. He says, you know, your mouth moves a lot before your brain kicks in. <laughs> and so he's the one who told me to do that. Because, you know, you're not responsible until your brain kicks in. I'm sorry, you're not. You're not. You're not sinning if you all of a sudden, Rah! and all of a sudden you go, whoa, shut the heck up. What's the matter with you? <laughs> you know, this is what's going on in your head. And you stop right then. Stop in the middle of the word and then turn to whoever heard you and say that. Say, oh, I'm sorry. Even if you're gossiping, you can do that. How many times have you been gossiping and all of a sudden your brain says, shut up. <laughs> This is definitely not good. And you're sitting there, and most of us will just keep gossiping, and then we'll just kind of uh, lose interest and go. No, no, no. This is what you got to do. As soon as your brain kicks in, stop. Say, whoa, you know what? If I were in his shoes or her shoes, I'd probably be worse. Maybe we should pray for them. And then change the subject. What you've done is you've taken something that started bad, and you turned it into something good. That's where we find peace. People think that just because they have a temptation, it means that they're bad. You're not bad because you have a temptation. Everybody is tempted. Temptations aren't sins. It's what you do with them. It's what you do with these things that come into your life. And once your brain kicks in, that's when the choice has to be made. If you find yourself for no reason or you find yourself getting miserable or getting ugly because of somebody else, your brain will kick in. I promise you. All of a sudden, the little voice in your head says, What are you doing, you idiot? Stop that. And then you say, Oh, yeah. And then just turn and make the change. It's up to you. God gave us a free will for that reason. We don't have a will like God's will. We have a created free will. So there's limitations. But believe me, the will is the most powerful gift that God has ever given to any one of us. Because it is the will that makes all the difference in the world. Totally. For example, I said this last time too. Just play the thing again. Say, for example, I went up to my spiritual director when I was in the seminary and I said, Father, I don't know if I love God. And he said, what? I said, no, I don't know if I love God. I feel absolutely nothing. I'm dry as a bone. I just go through the motions. I don't know if I love God at all. And so he went and he told me, he says, ask your guardian angel tonight if he loves God. And then afterward, ask him how it feels to love God like that. So I did. And I got the message. My angel loves God with its whole being but feels absolutely nothing because he doesn't have a body. So he feels nothing. Only we can feel because we have a body. So when I told him this the next day, he said to me, well then, if angelic love isn't good enough for you, what is? In other words, when you love without any emotions, without any feelings, that's the love of the angels. You literally are participating in even a more pure love than you could possibly have with your emotions. So don't allow the emotions that you have to guide you. That's always going to be a big mistake. In fact, St. Ignatius of Loyola says, when you're feeling the emotions, back away from them. and Wait until they calm down. Wait until everything gets back to normal. Then make a decision on what you were thinking about or what you're upset about. Because... Just as the good spirit counsels and guides, so does the evil spirit. And the evil spirit always counsels us 
loudest when we are in turmoil, when we have emotions batting around inside of us. So we have to really find that place within ourselves that literally grabs hold of our own will, that recognizes the power of our own will to make decisions that affect our lives completely. Everybody says you can't teach old dog new tricks. You want to bet? Every one of us can learn. Every one of us can grow. Every one of us can conquer anything and everything that bothers us. Everything. Because as long as we understand what the will is, as long as we understand how powerful it is, as long as we understand how free we are to use it, none of you are slaves. None of you are slaves to your emotions. None of you are slaves to any other person on the face of this earth except to your own will. And that's what you have to conquer. That's why Jesus said, will to love. Love me. And the apostles said, I believe, help my unbelief. Because they knew that they had to search and grasp. They had to make their love. They had to choose to love. And if you say to God, you feel nothing, mind you. And you look at the God and you say, Lord, I want to love you with the heart of Mary. Instantly, God sees his mother's heart beating in your heart. Instantly. And for as long as you have that will to love with her heart, that is exactly the love that you have, and that's exactly how God sees it, and that's exactly how he is going to love you in return. Choose to love, will to love, will to forgive, will to believe, will to be joyful in life, because no one should ever have that power to make you miserable unless you give it to them. So please, when people disappoint you, remember that priests are sinners chosen from among sinners to help sinners. That's who we are. And we are all going to make mistakes. Do not put all your eggs in any one basket. Don't ever look at someone as though they are God because every one of us are weak. And pray for your priests. Don't judge them. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Love those who hurt you. And especially love those who have loved you enough to speak the truth, to tell you what is right and wrong, even if they don't live it. Jesus even said about the Pharisees, He says, do as they say, not as they do. He didn't say, well, let's judge them and let's hate them and let's criticize them and let's hang them up. He said, just do what they say. Because even the Pharisees said good things. And when somebody tries to be good, even if they don't live up to our own standards, we have to give them credit for it. You know, when I was in the seminary, every priest in charge of formation had a book in which he wrote every rotten thing we ever did. And so one Christmas, I got really tired of that. And so I bought every one of them a blank book wrapped them up beautifully Christmas Day in front of all the students and I passed them all out and they were all excited we got a gift Mm -hmm. and they opened it up and they looked at it and everybody had a blank book and he says what is this and I said these books are so you can write the good things that you see in us I think it's about time we found those things well they threw the books at me (laughs) literally but you see We need to praise people. We need to find the good that they're doing as well. We can't focus always on the bad. I know many people in my life, maybe who don't live their faith. I don't know why they don't live their faith. And I try to give them the best example that I can. At least I try. I try to show them love. But there's one thing I do know. If we don't praise the things that people do good, we'll never get them to understand to be good in the sense of Christ. 
So we have to love them by showing them, by lifting them up, by living our faith, by loving them regardless. Unconditional love. That's what Jesus has for us. He loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners. Don't ever forget that. And so while the people around us may be seemingly going to hell in a handbasket, what is our response to that? Our response has to be a response of love. The exact same response that Jesus said. While they were nailing him to the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Not for what they've done. While they were hammering in the nails, he was praying that prayer. They hadn't finished yet and he had already started forgiving them. When are we going to do that? Why aren't we doing that? And if we really want peace, and I'm talking about true peace, peace that will truly, truly lead us to eternity, that will lead us to understanding and, and loving with great abandon. If we really want that, we have to follow every word of Christ, not just the ones that make us feel good or the ones that we pick. We have to study him on the cross. We have to study his life. We have to watch how he responded to his very enemies. We have to get rid of all self-righteousness. And we have to love our enemies. Do good to those who hurt us. Because I'll tell you this. One day, you pray. You pray. And remember, Jesus said, Ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. And what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about if you're looking for a job or if you need a new dress or if you need to find a good dentist. He's talking about the things that you pray for that are the will of God. And you don't think that the salvation of your children, your friends, your enemies isn't the will of God? Of course it is. And so when you pray, we have to pray with absolute certitude that he's going to answer that prayer and he's going to give it to us. It's going to be in his time. It's going to be in his place. You may not even see it. You may be long dead and gone. But that prayer will be answered because he said it. And either we are going to take him at his word and we are going to take him at every word or we're not. And if we are going to have the courage and the guts to be called Christians, Roman Catholic Christians, we're going to take everything he says and not just pick and choose a bunch of pretty statements. Not just sit there and memorize a couple of nice phrases. We are going to look at every word he says. We're going to look at how he lived and how he died. So that thereby we'll resurrect with him. Now, I don't know. If I say any more, I think I'm going to bore you to death. So, are there any questions? Remember, they told me in the seminary that if you don't have a question, you've been dead for at least an hour. That's what they told us. On this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ, we've been listening to a talk to the ladies of Heart to Heart Catholic Women's Apostolate by Father Ben Lutke. I should add that it was not a segregated group that night. Some men did show up to hear the teaching. One of them told me he did. I wasn't there. I was off recording something else. After this break, we'll hear most of the question and answer session that followed the talk. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome back to Putting on the Mind of Christ. The EBA Cafe at Domino's Farms was filled that Thursday evening to hear Father Ben Lutke. His title was Healing the Wounds of the Heart. He taught that only each of us can forgive those who hurt us and only that forgiveness can lead to our healing. After their refreshment break, Father Ben fielded questions from the audience. Questions? 
Remember, you have to be dead for at least an hour not to have one. Anyone have any questions? doesn't have to deal with what we're dealing with. It could be with anything, yes. She asked about when you give something, especially a religious gift, make sure you swing by the priest's house and have it blessed. And remember, if you buy a Benedict crucifix or a Benedict medal, there is a special exorcism that, that has to be placed on those medals. In fact, a Benedict crucifix is the most powerful medal in the history of the church. There are more indulgences attached to that crucifix than any medal in the history of the church. In fact, it even has a happy death blessing on it. So if somebody takes a crucifix that's got a Benedict medal embedded in it and it's been blessed with the exorcism and they kiss it at the moment of death, all temporal punishment due to sin is removed before they die. And so I carry them with me all the time when I'm visiting the sick. I usually give one to the sick when I see them. Yes? Can anyone, any priest bless those? Any priest can bless it. I went to um, Monte, whatever, whatever, Monte Cassino or Monte Cassio, and I received that right after my ordination. So I received the power to bless them. But since then, all priests have the power to bless it, but they have to use the formula of blessing. Sometimes it's with the crucifix, yeah. Oh, you can buy them anywhere. Our Lady of Grace, you can get them from Autan. And they're like six bucks or something like that. And they're really very pretty. The gold ones are very nice. The gold comes off, but they're still great. They make a great impression, you know. So, yes. She wanted to know how are these indulgences established. And the church did something very, very nice for us. They started using plenary and partial. Because remember, the reason why we had days was because when people couldn't read, they would memorize certain prayers. And when someone would say, this has three days indulgence, or this has 300 days indulgence, the first thing in their mind is, the 300 days indulgence would be more beneficial. Why? Because, for example, a three-day indulgence would be saying the name of Jesus. A 300-day indulgence would be, for example, Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, made man, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Why do you get 300? Because you're realizing, number one, you're a sinner, that Christ is going to forgive you, that he is the Son of God, made man. So what it is, is you're embedding within your heart a greater good. And so therefore, they use these ideas of indulgences. Now the church says partial and plenary. And some books still have how many days indulgence, but... The church says partial and plenary. A plenary indulgence is usually established when someone, first of all, is unattached to any sin, even venial, who has gone and fulfilled whatever it is required of them. For example, if you're doing the Divine Mercy Novena, if you're doing the Infantries of Prague Novena, or whatever Novena you're doing, you know, whatever it might be. You fulfill the obligations and you must receive communion and confession either two weeks before or two weeks after, somewhere within that time, in order to receive that. Like, for example, there's a big mistake that people make. They think that they have to receive confession on Divine Mercy Sunday. Not true. God would never do that to the priest. (laughs) You got a month. You got two weeks before, two weeks after. Don't worry about it. Wisen them up. You know, if somebody says, no, I have to go to confession on the feast day, explain to them, please. That's not the case. In fact, a number of priests, in order to correct that, will not hear confessions on Divine Mercy Sunday. They'll hear them all the way before and all the way after. At our parish, we hear them even on Divine Mercy Sunday. We let everybody know you can go two weeks before or two weeks after. Yes? Um, I remember somebody once told me, they said, uh, you know, there's enough relics of the Blessed Mother's veil to cover New Jersey. (laughs) And I went to a very, very holy priest. 
So I told him that. I says, you know, I says, somebody just told me that there's enough Blessed Mary's Veil relics to cover New Jersey. And he says, let me see that relic. And he took it and he opened it up and he, he saw the wax seal on there. And he says, whose seal is that? I said, that's the Vatican seal. And he says, well, if the church says it's her veil, she's making it hers. <laughs> no, that's all he said. But when the church in her wisdom uh, establishes something, what they're doing is literally telling you and explaining to you what those prayers, what effect they have in your soul. And listen, if you are completely detached from sin and you are in love with God and you uh, go to confession and confess every sin that you can possibly remember and you receive our Lord with love, what would you think? That is definitely, you're going to heaven. <laughs> you know? And then, if you lovingly kiss an image of Christ hanging on the cross, remember, temporal punishment due to sin is the punishment that we owe because of our sins. In other words, it's like every sin has to be undone. We have to undo our sins. And the easiest way to undo our sins is by falling more in love with Christ. Because remember... Here's something most people don't understand, especially if they're not Catholic. Christ is the great I am, right? So in other words, Christ is here now. He's also at my birth, and he's even at my death. Physically, really there. He's there at my death. So now if I fall in love with him, and I make every act an act of love that I can possibly try to make, Jesus, who is there at my sin... He's there when I was sinning. He can undo it. He undoes our sin. So the forgiveness and the grace of God extends to the beginning of our lives and the end of our lives. And the church basically recognizes the power of God to enter into our lives through that prayer, through that love, through that mercy, and thereby undoing the damage that our sins have caused. So we never have to be afraid of our past. That's one of the things I always try to tell people. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. He was talking about the past, not dead people. He was talking about your past. Let the dead bury the dead. Let your past go. Fall in love. That's the most important thing. The more you fall in love with Christ, the more he will undo your sins. He will undo the damage that your sins have caused. He will heal the wounds that you have caused in other people. But it's love at the basis of it. And so what the church is simply telling you is if you love with this kind of love, this will be the effect in your soul. And the church will show you by giving that special blessing, which is a, uh, for example, the Benedict Crucifix, which is an exorcism. You're actually exercising it so that it has actually power through that prayer and through that blessing and through that image to conquer even the attacks of the devil. And it's always a good idea to go online, type in Benedict Blessing, and then just print out a copy of it, and then just bring it to a priest and say, Here, Father, could you bless this? And then he does the blessing, and then you can sprinkle it yourself with holy water if there's no holy water. I just make my own, so I'm really lucky that way. <laughs> yes. Well, that would be the first thing I would do is, remember, you have to love your enemies. You don't have to like them. And because if you liked your enemies, you'd be schizophrenic, and then you'd really need somebody else to help you.
So the very fact that you stay away from them is a good thing, number one. That's the first thing I was thinking when you were saying she was telling her her kids are attacked or they're treated mean, and so she responds with anger and she loses her temper that way. Well, that's a normal motherly thing. But remember, there's always going to be a time if you lose your temper. First of all, get the kids away from those creepy people. But the second thing is when you realize that you've lost your temper, stop. And even turn to those people and say that little thing, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lost my temper. I'm really working on it. Say a prayer for me. Then say what you were going to say. And then they will listen to you and you'll be a force to be reckoned with. Because no longer are they pushing your buttons and getting the exact reaction that they want. Because the second you change your reaction, you change their action. Because if they see they can't get a rise out of you and they can't make you upset, they're going to stop doing it because they're not getting any pleasure from it anymore. And so you have to change. It's always on the part of ourselves. We have to do the changing. And we will change other people's activities. But if you do that, number one, you show them that you do not accept that behavior in yourself and it gives you the right not to accept it in them. Number two, you show them you're the type of woman, mother, wife, who's working on making herself better and there's nothing more admirable than that. Third, you start catching yourself sooner and sooner and sooner until you never lose your temper again and you're in totally in control and then you will be a force really to be reckoned with. Then they will fear you when you come around because as soon as you lose control, you've lost your power and you've got to take that back. Don't let anybody steal that from you anymore. You have to do that though and it may almost seem like it's counterproductive, but it's not. You have the power to change the entire dynamics of every relationship in your life by doing something so simple you will literally take back the power you will have the control and you will teach them and also return your peace but you've got to make sure that even all those wounds that you've got in your heart you first have to heal them because even if these people came up to you and said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, they still wouldn't heal those wounds because they, nobody else has the power to heal the wounds they've caused inside of you. Nobody. Only you have that power. And when Jesus said forgive 70 times 7, that's exactly what he meant. He didn't mean that if somebody comes and whoops you upside the head 70 times 10, you should forgive them because he figured you were giving up brains to duck. But so what happens is you've got to keep forgiving them for the same thing. Every time you think of them, God forgive that bum and help me to forgive them too. And then as soon as you think of them again, God forgive that bum and help me forgive them too. But what you've been doing is you've been ripping open the wound. And you're looking at how deep and how horrible and how long it's been there. And you're doing it to yourself. You've got to stop ripping open the wound and you have to keep putting that ointment of forgiveness on it. Now remember, you're not forgiving them and you're not making excuses for them. You're not cutting them slack. They'll get theirs. Don't ever worry about that. God's vengeance is worse than anything we could do. But the thing is, you have to forgive them for you, not for them. Even if you knew that they would do it again, over and over again, why should you forgive them? For you! Don't forgive them for them. You can forgive them in a heartbeat. Just say, oh Lord, I forgive that jerk. Well, then you've got to start forgiving them for you. And that takes work. That takes time. But I promise you, if you do that every single time you think of them, don't look at the wound. Run interference with the desire to rip it open again. And just keep putting that ointment of forgiveness on there. And I promise you, there will come a day, sooner than later, the more often you have to say that prayer, God forgive them and help me to forgive them too. There will come a day when all of a sudden you'll say, God, for it's gone. It's gone. There's no anger. There's no animosity. There's no fear. There's no, my stomach isn't tied up in knots anymore.
Yeah, she was talking about, about gangs that wear the rosary and what to do about it. I think basically what you're doing is good to inform them. It's a shame that you're in a public school and we have such a horrible political correctness. By the way, just so you know, be damned political correctness, okay? Just so you know. It's a damnation to have to be politically correct. Get rid of all political correctness because that will lead our nation into ruin and our soul to hell faster than anything else. You know, it's a very tough situation you're in because of the political correctness stuff. And it really is a shame that they're using these rosaries. And that fact that started in prisons. Yeah, that because the priests and, and the brothers and stuff would be giving out rosaries and they found that they were bring colored roses and they had to bring rope, little small ones. And so all of a sudden they noticed that, wait a second, they wanted red roses, they wanted black ones, they wanted white ones, they wanted pink ones or orange ones or, you know. And they found out that they were basically forming gangs. This was dividing them up and they weren't praying the rosary, they were just wearing it as a gang symbol. It's really interesting. Anytime the church pushes something aside, the devil picks it up. In the 60s and 70s, when priests stopped wearing their collars, all of a sudden now you see women ministers wearing a Roman collar, everybody and their mothers wearing a Roman collar because we threw it away. I didn't, but that's what happens. As soon as we take something for granted, the devil will pick it up and run with it because he tries to divide and conquer. So what we need to do is we need to use these symbols more often. We need to be seen praying the rosary. We need to put those little signs on our car, pray the rosary daily, you know, pray the rosary for your enemies, you know, things like that, so that people will see. And once we become very vocal and visual with our faith and people see the rosary, that we're carrying it or that we're praying it or that we've got it on our car. For example, in our parish at St. Albert the Great, we had a big problem because there were a lot of bad influences moving into our town. So what I did was, in order to send some of the kids to World Youth Day a couple years ago, what I did was we went and we bought a whole slew, hundreds of cement statues of the Blessed Mother, St. Anne, Sacred Heart, the Sorrowful Mother, we taught them how to paint them, and they painted them, sprayed them, and every person in the parish, I wanted to buy one and put it in their front yard so that we could stop the movement, the evil forces that were coming into our parish. And it stopped everything. People didn't want to live next to it. People didn't want to live next to an image of the Blessed Mother. In fact, when Muslims started proselytizing because they were giving out the Koran, which is the last step before jihad, I guess, what happened was not one member of our parish got a Koran. Not one. They wouldn't even walk up to the door of a house with the Blessed Mother or Christ or, you know, and so this is the one way we can literally change the world is by showing our faith, by doing things like that. And that's why I say, you know, get your friends and family's yard statues. And the cement ones are the best because then people can run off with them, you know. And if they do, they're going to, you know, you'll be able to tell by the imprints of the footprints which direction they went. We've had our statue of our Blessed Mother, the cement one, that knocked the head off of her. We glue it back on. We don't care. They, they're always trying to attack us because they see what we're doing in the parish. And yet, we're still moving forward. And we don't see a lot of the gangs running around anymore. And, and they've slowed down with the drugs and things like that. But we have to do that now. We cannot remain silent anymore. We are the silent majority. And we have to stand up. And just so you know, just by way, in this next election, we priests are going to have to really start speaking out. We were too quiet last time, and it's about time we started letting the people know exactly what we need to do.
and you know, and doesn't mean we're going to get involved in politics, but I'll tell you this, if somebody's preaching a gospel other than ours, you're going to know about it because you need to know. You need to know when someone is anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, anti-life, anti-church. We have to know these things because we cannot put people who hate Christ and hate the church and hate the truth and hate life in power ever again. There's enough of it. You know, we really, I'm serious. So, yeah. I would like to see more priests speak out in church about pro-life. Well, you know, that's true. You know, and I, I mean, I do. We do. I mean, Father Dan and I, we're always speaking about it. We enter it. It's all in our prayers. In fact, now I've actually added in our prayers what I said at the Mass here. We pray for an absolute and unconditional end to the killing of our children by way of abortion and the extermination of our elderly by way of euthanasia. Because you know something, as long as it remains kids, as long as it remains children, it's not going to hit home. But when all of a sudden we realize that they're going to try to kill us off. You know, I was told that if I waited until this uh, care came through, I wouldn't have had this tumor removed because I'm too old. They would just tell me there's nothing we can do, even though there was something they could do. And they said, if you waited another year, we would have had to let you die. And they took that tumor out, and I just got there right in the perfect window. And so we have to be careful because if you think just that he's being attacked just against our children, wait. Anybody who's over 58, watch your back because they're coming after us, all of us. Because if you're not a valuable asset to society, you're not worth much. Not in in an administration that is atheist and socialist. I lived in Italy. I lived in socialist countries, and in the back of every single hospital, there were lines of hearses, like taxi cabs, picking up the dead. And no one, after they reach 60 years old, goes to a hospital to be cured. Everyone goes to the hospital only to die. In Italy, in Canada, you name it. Unless you can pad the pocket of the doctor, you're a goner. And that's what we have to understand in our country, because we're being lulled into this sleep And we're not listening, we're not looking. As Roman Catholic Christians, we have an obligation to understand what's going on around us and to be active in our policies and in our government and choose people wisely who will respect and allow our faith to grow. You have to understand that everything affects what we believe in this country and around the world. Madrid used to catechize the world, and now they are majority atheists. I mean, it was a wonderful experience. I heard many confessions, but there's a definite problem throughout the world, and we have to start standing up and living and preaching and practicing our faith and letting our faith influence our decisions, especially with regard to our society and how we vote and what we do. We can't pretend to be politically correct and think we're going to get to heaven because we can't. It's just not going to happen. Yes, back to Okay, she wants to know about the 15 minutes after you receive the Eucharist. And this has been the case all throughout history in the church. 15 minutes is what it takes, roughly, for the species of the bread and wine. Remember, species is not bread and wine at all, but it looks like bread and what looks like wine and what tastes like bread and tastes like wine, which is not. But when those species dissolve, once they cease to exist, 
then the real physical presence of Christ is no longer there. Then you have the spiritual presence of Christ, which you have all throughout the day, all throughout the night, anytime you want to make a spiritual communion and so forth. But the physical presence of Jesus, and I've been doing a lot of research on this throughout my whole life, but especially recently because there's been such an amazement on the part of a lot of Catholics that when they say, you know, what is this with this? It's just a spiritual thing. Communion is spiritual. No, no, it's not. It's physical. And you look at all of the saints and all of the popes and all of the great writers, St. Alphonsus de Liguria, all the great, great mystics, they always refer to the physical body, blood, soul, and divinity of our beloved Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. In other words, that is physically Jesus. He has eyes that see, ears that hear, a mouth that speaks, a heart that beats blood coursing through his veins. And when we receive him, we literally take his physical being inside of it. It's not a spiritual communion. You can do that on your own. But when you come to Mass, you literally are transported back to Calvary. You and I literally are standing at the foot of the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. And when we receive that communion, we are literally receiving the resurrected Christ there at the tomb. We have to understand that our faith... Have you ever heard of Mysterium Fide, the mystery of faith? The mystery of faith, in fact, they're getting rid of that first one. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Why? Because they want us to focus on who is there. We have to speak directly to this Christ, this Jesus. That's why I had you do the sign of peace in silence, out of respect for the presence of the living God. And so we have to understand that that Mysterium Fide opens us up to literally being transported back to Calvary. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus hung on the cross, he saw you standing there. 2,000 years ago. Remember, and this is another thing, I, I think I'm sure I mentioned this last time, but God does not see crowds. He doesn't look out and see humanity. He sees you as though you were the only person he created, the only person he redeemed. He doesn't have a universal view of mankind. He loved each one of you into existence as though you were the only person, and that's the love that he died. You know, people think, oh yes, I look at the wounds of Jesus, and these are the wounds of mankind. No, they aren't. The wounds that he bore for you, for you, not mankind. That's not a collection of all the sins of mankind in his body. Those wounds were yours, and he took them upon himself, and he saw you alone when he was hanging on that cross. That's the Mysterium Fide. That's why it's no longer going to be, we believe in one God. It's, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. It is not a communal thing. It is a personal, it is a personal redemption. God saved you as though you were the only person, because that's the only way God can see you. We can only see crowds. God sees only individuals, and that's the kind of love you have to return to Jesus as well. If once you realize this, does this make a difference? If you're going to Mass and you realize that that Mass was done for you only, what kind of return of love will you have? It's not only death that puts life in proper perspective, but it's truth. It's knowing really what Jesus does for you, not mankind, not humanity, you. And until we recognize that salvation is a personal event, that Christ died for me and he bore my sins in his flesh, not the sins of mankind, but mine, only then will I be able to love him the way he deserves to be loved because only then will I know 
what it cost him to save me, to love me, to redeem me. And that goes for every one of you. Remember, he only saw you individually standing next to his mother when he hung on that cross. Just you, no one else but his mother. And that's how you must love him. To finish our time together today, we mark the 80th anniversary of Vatican Radio. September 29th is both the feast day of Vatican Radio and St. Gabriel, the patron saint of communications. Pope Pius XI requested Marconi, the inventor of radio, to set up the radio station. Veronica Sersbrick produced the sound picture. We thank Vatican Radio for its use on this program. Hello, I'm Veronica Skersbrick. Thanks for joining me. As you know, Vatican Radio was set up by Guglielmo Marconi at the request of Pius XI and entrusted by this Pope to the Jesuits who still manage it to this day. But if you wish to have a sound picture of that very day in 1931, which includes the voice of Marconi, his daughter Elettra, and of course Pope Pius XI, stay tuned. Vatican State from a great radio station built by Marconi. The Pope, for the first time in 1900 years of Catholicism, has sent his voice throughout the world. With this broadcast, His Holiness celebrates the ninth anniversary of his coronation as Pope Pius XI. That was the voice of Pius XI at the inauguration of Vatican City's radio station on February the 12th, 1931. The words of Pius XI followed those of the father of radio, Guglielmo Marconi. While Pius XI spoke in Latin, the universal language of the church, Marconi spoke in Italian. For the first time in history, the voice of a Roman pontiff is about to be carried through the airwaves for all people to hear, Marconi said. My father made friends with the Pope, who was Path Eleventh. In front of my mother, he asked my father to build important radio station in the Vatican City. He accepted with enthusiasm. And that Princess Elettra, Marconi's daughter, was named after her father's invention. She recalled playing in the Vatican Gardens while her father discussed electric waves with Pius XI. It was 1929, and the Lateran Pax had given Vatican City the right to communicate directly with other states. That's why the Pope had entrusted Marconi with the task of setting up the Vatican's own radio station. They were 
talking for hours together. And when I was three, four years old, I started going with my father and my mother to visit Path 11th. And I remember that I was very lively and they were talking, they were great friends, enjoying their conversation. And the Pope, Path 11th, was very sweet and understanding. He wanted me to be present, but he was very understanding because I was very lively. So I remember that, especially when we were coming out from the visit, the, the noble guards and the devoted people who are in the Vatican, they were complaining because they were hungry and they were saying that we were stayed too long. But that was Path 11 who wanted to speak for a long time with my father. I remember very well this. You say your father spoke to the Pope at length. They spoke about scientific matters? The Pope was asking questions to my father and wanted explanations and inquiring which were his new plans of his new inventions. Being a scientist, Path 11, he understood thoroughly what my father was saying. And there was really a great friendship. And one can see now also from the photographs that I treasure. It was through the Vatican garden, so familiar to Princess Eletra, that on a raw and windy evening, Pius XI went by car to inaugurate the new radio station of Vatican City. His first gesture was to bless the city and the world. This is the Vatican radio station of which the Pope's voice has been heard all over the world. While in 1931 communications were slow by today's standards, news of a Roman pontiff's first historic blessing through the airwaves spread fast. The city and the world knelt to the Pope's message. In the city of Rome, loudspeakers had been put up in streets and squares and crowds of people gathered to listen to the Pope's voice, reaching them through the airwaves for the first time. Right across the world, people listened, from Europe to the United States to Australia. In England, where radio already existed, the BBC had been founded in 1922, news spread even faster. British newspapers gave ample coverage to the event. The universe even ran a competition by the title of How I Listened to the Pope's Voice. A year after the first papal broadcast on Vatican Radio, the BBC broadcast the first ever royal Christmas message. Through one of the marvels of modern science, I am enabled this Christmas Day to speak to all my peoples that wireless his Majesty George V's voice reached out to his subjects throughout the empire. I speak now from my home and from my heart to you all. To men and women so cut off 
by the snows, the desert, or the sea, that only voices out of the air can reach them. I wish a happy Christmas. God bless you. The words of the king on his first Christmas broadcast were words of wonder at the epoch-making discovery of modern science. Only a few months later, the words of the Pope to Marconi on Vatican Radio were filled with that same wonder. Quali agguati della scienza, ella sorprende, sorprenda il cammino di queste onde che nessuno vede, nessuno ode, nessuno sente. The Pope spoke of being baffled as to how Marconi had managed to transform into sound mysterious electric waves. There is nothing to see, to hear, to feel, to touch, the Pope said. So how could the human mind possibly see what our eyes don't see? Yet, despite Pius XI's understanding of the power of radio, Marconi's invention had not immediately been understood. At the beginning, he was 20 years old. Nobody believed in him, only his mother, Annie Jameson. And when he made the invention in Italy, they didn't believe him. He went to England, and at last they understood the importance of radio. Princess Electra recalled how ostracized her father had been at first. In 1901, when he had in mind to make the first transmission across the Atlantic, all the, the scientists of the time were against him. They were saying that it would have been impossible because the world is round and so it couldn't reach the other side of the Atlantic. Instead, he was sure that he would succeed and he proved to the world that he was right. In the tiny Vatican state from a great radio station built by Marconi, the Pope for the first time in 1900 years of Catholicism has sent his voice throughout the world. Thanks for listening. I'm Veronica Skarsbrick. On this 408th edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ, we heard Father Ben Lucky address the ladies of Heart to Heart Catholic Women's Apostolate at the EBA Cafe inside Domino's Farms in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Father Ben's title was Healing the Wounds of the Heart. Father Ben is in residence at St. Albert the Great Parish in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Our talk on this program was drawn from an extensive archive we've collected over a dozen or so years. The talks were recorded at large and small conferences, parish missions and diocesan and parish teaching sessions. They've been edited to enhance their listening clarity. License has been granted by the speakers for this use. A CD of this program is available. Order program number 408. To place your order for more information, phone 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net Putting on the Mind of Christ is presented by the Ave Maria Communications Guild and this station. 
This radio station is listener supported. If you like what is offered here, we ask that you support it with your treasure. This is your host and program producer, Henry Root. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ. Until next time, may our Lord richly bless you and your families. This is Ave Maria Radio.